Hello, AP government. Welcome to your midterm review. The midterm will be on Friday, March the 10th. I know this week is kind of weird because we have our block scheduling and I won't see you for one of the days, but we're still going to test. Uh, so be prepared, uh, regardless of your attendance in class and all that kind of good stuff. Um, the test is 40 questions. If you're looking at the review guide, there's 34. So that means there's going to be some stimulus-based questions where there are multiple questions uh, tied to that one stimulus. Okay. Uh, this covers units one, two, and three. Unit one was the constitutional foundations slash underpinnings, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then two, unit two was the uh, American ideologies and beliefs. And then unit three was political participation. Now you did take a test for units one and two. For uh, unit three, there was no test. You worked on the project. Now, if you did the project correctly and you went through all of those tasks, then you've covered every single topic and standard that was in unit three because the, the project was set up and geared around all those topics. So you've done research into each one of them if you did the project correctly. Um, so I would also maybe go back and look at the formatives if you can. I can't remember if you can look back at the formatives or not. Um, I'm also going to set some progress checks on uh, AP Classroom so that if you want to go test and practice, I'm not going to look at those, but if you want to practice, uh, you can do that, especially for Unit 3, since we did not test. Okay? All right, let's get rolling. <clears throat> so number one, Thomas Jefferson, the Declaration of Independence and the Enlightened Ideas. So you need to recall that Thomas Jefferson was tasked with writing this document. And probably if you were to walk around the school, if you were to walk around the streets of Swanee or Lawrenceville or wherever you're at, most people will probably say that Thomas Jefferson wrote that thing off the top of his head. Now, we need to remember that a lot of those ideas comes from the Enlightenment. Okay, so uh, Thomas Jefferson did not just magically come up with the natural rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Remember, he's going to take a lot of his stuff and I say stuff very generally, uh, from two specific people, actually, from the Enlightenment, and that's uh, John Locke, that's where the natural rights come from, as well as Montesquieu with the separation of powers. Um, so <clears throat> it's, uh, it's really Jefferson taking what he has read, what he has studied. Now, he didn't, you know, it's not plagiarizing, but he took a lot of the stuff that he read from those people, and put it into this document. Now, the second part of it is all about the grievances. So what are the problems that America has with English rule? And so they list like 34, 35 violations. I can't remember the number. Um, problems that America had with King George and the English. Number two is James Madison and Fed 51. So just real quick, a recap of what the Federalist Papers are. All right, the Federalist Papers were written to try and gain support for the Constitution. Remember, hey, the Constitution was signed, but there was a lot of people that were against this thing. There was a whole movement. The Anti-Federalists were against the new Constitution. And so these papers were written, and a lot of the times they were written in response to, well, hey, this is a problem with the new Constitution. And so a Federalist Paper would pop up saying, well, here's the problem, and here's how the Constitution handles it. 
All right. In this case, Fed 51 was about the separation of powers, checks and balances and things like that. And basically the fact that, hey, you know, we're going to, to keep and uh, keep the power separate. No one person is going to take all this power. No one branch of the government is going to have all this power. You're going to have them separated out. And then we're also going to have checks on it on each of them. So the, the executive branch can check the legislative branch. The legislative branch can check the judicial branch. And so it's all about, hey, yes, there is a concern. And that is an issue when, you know, one person, one, one group has all the power. It's a problem. But we're not going to have that because <clears throat> we have checks and balances in place. All right, number three, ways the Constitution can change. So there is the formal way, which is going to be through the amendment process. Remember the amendment process, and I think that might be later on in the, in the review. But just remember, uh, national level creates and proposes the states ratify and sign. So that officially changes it. All right. Now, it can also change in a couple different ways. Um, it can change through the Supreme Court, through judicial interpretation. You know, they can uh, make a decision. We've seen this recently that has you know, changed how laws are implemented with the Roe versus Wade being overturned. So we, we've seen judicial interpretation um, happen. And, and that's probably the, the main informal way that it can happen uh, is through um, the, the judicial branch making a decision on something. Uh, the Constitutional Convention compromises. So you've got two really <clears throat> that you got to remember. I'm going to talk about the third, which is the commerce. Uh, so the Great Compromise, remember this combines the Virginia plan and the New Jersey plan. So remember the Virginia plan had called for a two-house legislature and they were going to decide or uh, representation was going to be based on population. Well, the small states piped up, right? Well, that's not very fair to us because that means there'll be two houses over there and we'll be outvoted in both of them. And so they created the New Jersey plan, which is going to be, hey, let's have it everybody equal. So everybody will be the same. It won't matter how big or small you are. Everybody will have equal votes. And so that was the debate. That was the problem. That was the issue. Now, picking these people was a whole nother issue. We're not going to get into that. But eventually they did come to the Great Compromise, which basically combines the plans. And since there was going to be a two-house legislature anyways under both the plans, now one, the House of Representatives, is based on population. So the larger states were happy because they have uh, more say-so over there. And then you have the Senate, which is based on uh, equality. So the small states are happy there. Uh, Three-fifths compromise. Remember, population now is going to count for your representation purposes. So the more people you have, the more power you have in the House of Representatives. Population is also going to determine your taxes, so how much you as a state are going to owe. So there's kind of two of the issues. Now, the South, once the, the Great Compromise passes, they all of a sudden start thinking, well, we have this whole population that would increase our representation although they had never wanted to count the slave population before. So the South is like, well, hey, we're going to count. We want to count the slave population for our representation purposes. But they were against it for tax purposes. Now, the North was the opposite. The North wanted to count the slave population for the tax purposes. 
but they didn't want to count them for the um, representation purposes. And so that's where the three-fifths compromise comes from because they had to eventually figure out, basically the three-fifths compromise is what, are, what, what is the South, I received it. What is this? What is what are what are we going to do with the, the slave population uh, when it comes to representation? And they they decided on the three fifths. Now the commerce compromise. This dealt with taxes, tariffs, uh, the importation of slaves. Um, remember, the North wants tariffs because they're all about industry and you know trading and goods coming in and all that kind of stuff. South, not so much because they're dependent upon a lot of the the goods coming from other countries and then trading their their uh, agricultural goods and things like that. Uh, they were also concerned about if they put this tariff on imports and exports, or uh, yeah, on imports, excuse me, um, you know, it could lead to some issues with the, the slave trade. And so that's that's kind of the crux of it and why they eventually decided uh, on what they did. And, and one of the main takeaways was that the uh, national government could not touch the slave trade uh, for 20 years. So I think it was 1808. All right, number five, rights every human has a right to. Those are the natural rights, that is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, the Federalists versus the Anti-Federalists. So we already kind of talked about them, <clears throat> so I'm not going to spend too much time. But the Federalists were for the big Constitution and the big strong government. The Anti-Federalists were against it. The Anti-Federalists were okay with a weaker national government and continuing on with strong state governments doing their thing. Republic versus democracy. So we're in a republic. Okay, republic is where uh, we elect people to make decisions for us, um, and you know, democracy is kind of how we pick our representation at this point. So just uh, don't get it confused. Uh, we we live in a republic where we elect officials that are going to make decisions and choices for us. Number eight, the separation of powers. What is each branch responsible for? So um, as far as the branches go. You've got the legislative branch who passes laws. You've got the executive branch who enforces the laws. And you've got the judicial branch, which is going to interpret and judge the laws. All right. Um, and they are all separate. So the, the executive branch doesn't have any pull over the, the Supreme Court, except for the fact they get to pick all the judges. So that's their only, only say so. Okay. Uh, the legislative branch, they can't do much. Um, I mean, that actually, let me take that back. They can do a lot. They have a lot of power over the, the executive because, in theory, they were supposed to be the strongest branch. Uh, but the president can get and do a lot of stuff because power has been given to them over the years. All right. But that's what the separation of powers is. Uh, number nine, uh, the First Amendment freedoms and give examples from court cases. Okay. So the First Amendment has several freedoms in there. It has the freedom of religion, press, speech, assembly, and petition. Uh, I'm not going to worry about the assembly and petition because there's not really court. There are court cases, but we didn't get into them, and you don't have to get into them. Uh, so we're not going to go over those. Um, as far as uh, the freedom of, of religion goes, you've got a couple things, and we'll get into some of the cases later on, now that number 31. Uh, but that's the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause. The Establishment Clause says that uh, the federal government will not create a state-sponsored religion, so there's not going to be a, 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 a church that you're forced to go to, sponsored by the government. And then the free exercise clause allows you to worship how you want to. Okay, And if you look down at 31, you see Wisconsin versus Yoder, Engel versus Vital. So those are two cases. Wisconsin versus Yoder, I'll talk about when we get down there, but that's free exercise. Engel versus Vital is the establishment clause. 
else. So I'll talk about those cases when we get down there. Uh, for uh, speech, you're allowed to, to say what you want to for the most part. There are some some stipulations there, but for the most part, you can kind of sign what you want to. Um, or not sign, you can say what you want to. Um, but remember, that's the government won't take that away. There are social consequences to what you say and do sometimes. Uh, but all kinds of stuff are protected here. Uh, you've got symbolic speech. You know, that comes from Tinker versus Des Moines. Uh, that comes from Texas versus Johnson and the flag burning. So you have these things and they're protected, you know, as a part of speech. So, yes, I, I'm not speaking directly, but I am protesting by doing wearing this armband, by burning this flag and all that stuff is considered you know, protected under uh, political symbolic speech. Uh, and then freedom of the press. Uh, the, the government can't stop the press from writing and critiquing. them. They're allowed to 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 write what they want to, for the most part, about the government, and the government cannot stop them and shut them down. And the press, that would probably be near versus Minnesota, that you'd want to know, but it's not a required case, so I'm not going to spend much time here, but basically um, they were trying to shut down a, a small paper in in Minnesota, and the Supreme Court said they could not do that because they were going to write a piece about the local government. Okay, uh, number 10, Articles of Confederation and its ratification. Now, this is kind of a poorly worded question because uh, we never really get into the Articles of Confederation ratification. Uh, I think this is more to do with um, the fact that the Articles of Confederation, it took 13 out of 13 to change the document. So remember, to make an amendment to the Articles, you needed 13 out of 13 states. And to pass a law, you needed 9 out of 13. So it was really difficult to get anything done. Um, so that was a problem, okay? Um, that, especially the unanimous part, a 13 out of 13. Like little states weren't going to help the big states. Big states weren't going to help the little states. Southern states versus northern states. You know, there was all kinds of differences there. And they were all looking out for number one at the end of the day. It was all about, you know, hey, I'm only concerned about my state and my state only. So when you are preparing, just keep in mind, it's not necessarily about ratification of the articles. So that's a poorly worded, I need to change it. Uh, it's more about the fact that, hey, to make changes to this document, it takes almost, uh, it, it is unanimous. Okay. All right. Let's uh, stop here for a quick break. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. We're picking up with number 11, the structure of the government under the Articles. So remember, under the Articles of Confederation, there was only really a Congress. There was no executive branch. There was no president. There was no court system. So the states had their courts, but that was it. So really, it was just this national Congress trying to, to work and do things, and it just... Uh, 
they had no power. We, we hopefully you remember this from the federal negative that we read, read about and all the problems that were associated under the articles. The amendment process mentioned this briefly earlier. Remember, uh, it is, <coughs> excuse me, a two thirds vote at the national level. So Congress, someone in Congress stands up, proposes that amendment. They have a vote. If two thirds of Congress says yes, then it goes on to the states for ratification. And you need three fourths of the states to ratify. I don't ask you to know a lot of numbers, but you got to remember those. So three fourths and two thirds, or two thirds and three fourths. So two thirds of the national, three fourths of the state. States. Uh, federal grants. So remember, this is how the federal government gets the states to do what they want them to. At the end of the day, the states would just as soon do what they want to do. And the federal government will say, well, hey, we have this money for you. If you do what we want you to do, we will continue to give you this money. And so it comes in the form of, of categorical grants and block grants. Remember, categorical grants, those are the ones that come with strings attached. So, you know, if you do this, you get this. It's the carrot for doing what you what the federal government wants. All right. And we always tie this to the drinking age. Drinking age is a state law. States can set it at whatever they want to. However, I think every state at this point has it at 21 because the federal government said, hey, we really want it at 21 and we're going to take away your road money if you don't. Block grants are a little bit freer. They're still a lot of times federally funded program or excuse me, they're, they're programs that are that are expected to be run, but they have the states have freedom under these block grants to run. Them. Welfare is an example of this. It is federally funded. The federal government sends money to the states for them to run this thing, but they get to do it how they want to. Okay, so categorical grants, a lot of strings, you have to do this, this, and this. Blog grants, hey, you have to do this, but you can do it how you want to. Uh, U.S. versus Lopez in an older case that had the same constitutional principle. So the uh, U.S. versus Lopez, first off, is a required case. Yeah, be sure you, you know it and understand it. But this is the gun control or the, so the, the National Gun-Free School Zone Act was violated by Lopez. He brought a gun to school and was caught. The federal government wanted to charge him. Okay, so this is why it's U.S. versus Lopez and not U.S. For, or uh, Lopez versus Texas or something like that. And it's because Lopez said, hey, you don't have the right to charge me. And so he fought those charges. Uh, and the Supreme Court eventually will agree. So the federal government was trying to use the Commerce Clause to get involved in this case. And the Supreme Court's be like, no, that, that doesn't make sense because a high school and there being one gun by one kid is not going to lead to this interstate commerce issue and problem. Now we talked about uh, the California medical marijuana case and how the commerce clause makes sense there. The federal government shut that down because the argument was that I could go out to California and I can buy the medical marijuana, but I could bring it back to Georgia and I could sell it. That could lead to interstate commerce. Okay, but this one single gun in this one single high school in this one city in, in this one one state was not going to lead to that. Now, on the test, there is a passage from the U.S. versus Lopez decision uh, and an older case. Uh, it's probably getting a Gibbons versus Ogden okay, because it does talk about older, not newer. Um, and in this case, that's what established the Commerce Clause, because in the Gibbons versus Ogden, that was the steamboat case. I think you get this in U.S. history, where they both had a charter, Gibbons and Ogden, from New York and from New Jersey to come in and be the only steamboat operator on the Hudson River. 
Well, they can't do that. The only people that can do that is the federal government. All right, Article, I'm testing my Roman numeral skills here. I'm pretty sure VI is Roman numeral six. So Article six of the Constitution, um, that is the Supremacy Clause. Okay, and just remember that this was put in there because the Articles didn't have anything like this, and the states could do what they wanted to under the Articles. Hey, we're going to have this specifically state. The only people, or the number one thing here is the Constitution, then the federal government. 16, full faith and credit, privileges and immunities, and extradition. So full faith and credit, this is state-to-state -state stuff. So full faith and credit, remember this is the piece where the states are going to honor each other's court decisions, contracts, licenses, and those sorts of things. All right. And I, I've told you multiple times that I'm an example of this. I got married in Florida when I was way too young. We moved to Georgia together. I didn't have to get remarried to her here in Florida. I mean, out here in Georgia, excuse me. I got divorced from her here in Georgia. I didn't have to go down to Florida to sign anything. It was just good uh, across the board. All right. So full faith and credit just means they're going to, the states are going to honor each other's stuff. I use the example of, you know, someone who uh, gets divorced and has to pay child support. Well, I'm going to get away from paying child support by moving to this other state. No, you're not. The states are going to make you pay it. Uh, privileges and immunities, you're going to be treated the same everywhere you go. You're going to have the same rights and, and just the same rights from state to state. There's not going to be any special Georgia laws or anything like that. And then extradition, they're going to work together to... Um, if you commit multiple crimes in multiple states, they're going to work together to figure out uh, where you're going to go. And a recent example of this is uh, the, uh, I think it's Moscow, Idaho, Idaho. I think that's where it was. It was a state, a, a college university in the Midwest uh, where those four college students were murdered and they picked up a suspect in Pennsylvania. Well, Pennsylvania wasn't like, well, we're going to hold him here. They sent the guy back so he could face charges there. That's extradition. Federal mandates. Federal mandates are going to be um, basically directives from the federal government to the states. Do this. Okay. Uh, you will do this. And sometimes they're funded. Sometimes they're unfunded. It just depends on how the federal government is feeling. Now, today, there is a committee type thing where if the federal government does something like this, they do have to go run it through this committee. I say committee, it's more of a council, maybe, might be the better way to say it, where they decide, hey, should that be funded or can it be unfunded? Citizens United versus FEC. So you just wrote a, uh, a uh, FRQ on this one. Remember, this is the campaign finance case where the businesses and corporations were donating money to Citizens United. They ran the movie or made the movie about Hillary Clinton. And the argument was that they can't donate the money because it violates the, the McCain-Feingold Act. Uh, and the Supreme Court is going to eventually say, hey, no, you're, that, that campaign finance, that money that they're sending is tied to free speech. These corporations, they have the same rights and, uh, as an individual, and therefore they have free speech. 19, social media and campaigns. So uh, you probably know this even better than I do, but social media is going to play a huge part uh, you know, in a presidential, in a congressional campaign. Almost, I would say, 
almost every politician has some kind of social media um, platform that they're on. And it is going to, it's really an important part of any campaign is that social media because so many people are on there. So many people follow and uh, you know, a lot of people get their news from places like Twitter and things like that. But um, it is on the test. I'm pretty sure there's a chart and graph that you have to look at uh, about it. So just remember, hey, it's important and it plays a role. You had to create a social media kind of plan uh, in your project. Uh, 20, how do interest groups gain influence? So the big one is going to be money. Okay, let's be honest. Um, just being an interest group is not typically going to be enough. You're going to have to be active in politics, active in campaigns, and you're going to have to typically actively donate money. Okay. Um, same thing like for me, you know, if I call my congressperson, who are you? All right. However, if I had donated lots of money, had I worked on the campaign for our politician, I would have a better chance of, of grabbing their ear when I called or wrote an email or something like that. So the, and, you know, it's just, I hate to say it that way, but you know, money kind of talks, uh, especially in these situations. Um, so the groups that have the financial resources typically will get the attention uh, a little more so than the, uh, the groups that don't have the cash. All right, let's stop here for uh, one last break, and then when we come back, we'll finish this thing up. Welcome back, guys. Let's wrap this thing up um, in the last few. So 21 has political parties versus interest groups. So hopefully uh, in your project, you were able to, to differentiate a little bit between these two. One of the big things that you need to remember uh, about political parties and interest groups. Interest groups are going to typically look to influence politicians, influence policy. All right. Political parties, though, are going to want to have people in charge, people in power that can make decisions that can create policy and create the laws. So interest groups are never going to run someone. They're never going to run a candidate. All right. They're going to instead uh, look to, to find candidates that are out there that they can work with that are sympathetic to their causes and their needs and all those sorts of things versus the political party who really has to, to win the elections uh, and, and get the votes that way. All right. Um, the other thing, that you, know, that you probably want to remember is that interest groups are very specific. They're a lot of times going to be just those single issue groups that are super specific areas that they're concerned about. Political parties have to be worried about everything. Political parties have to be worried about the state of the economy. Political parties have to be worried about what's going on foreign policy wise and just everything else that goes with running a country. Interest groups don't have to worry about any of that stuff. It's not of their concern. They're just worried about their one single topic. Number 22, the roles of political parties. So political parties do a couple of things. Um, and, you know, you had to, to really talk about this in your project. Uh, but a couple of things, they are going to educate and mobilize voters. So political parties get the word out uh, about their candidates and, and who's um, 
who's running for office. Okay. And they're, they're going to, you know, try and do campaign rallies and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, they're going to try and get people registered to vote. All right. Now they have to, like, you have to be eligible to vote. They can't get you eligible, but if you're 18 and, and ready, then they're going to try and get you registered to vote. That's part of mobilizing uh, the voters. All righty. They will recruit candidates. That's one of the things that you had to talk about in your project was the, the recruitment of candidates. Uh, they will come up with campaign strategies. You know, uh, hey, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to help uh, spend money and those sorts of things. Uh, media and the citizens demand for information. So because people want to know, we, we have a problem that we want to just know and we need information. And so there has been a push and that's the reason there's the 24 hour news cycle. It's because people want to know. Now I would argue once again, that uh, I don't know that we need a 24 hour news cycle. I think it leads to more problems than it does benefits, but no one's asking me. And so um, we do have that out there. <clears throat> Uh, 24, the perspective voting, retrospective voting, and rational choice. So uh, this was something that you got uh, one of the days that I was out right after our winter break. Uh, you, you worked on a, a worksheet handout with this, and it was on the second page. Uh, so just remember that perspective voting, that is basically, hey, what is this person going to do? So you're going to the polls, and you're thinking, this person is going to do this for this, for the, the, the state, the country, whatever, whatever the, the vote is. Okay. Retrospective voting is what has happened recently. So let's look to the past and then rational choices. What's best for me. Okay. So perspective is looking to the future and who is the best candidate for this state, for this locality, for this nation. Retrospective is what has happened recently in the recent past. And then rational choice is what is the best for me. Um, so once again, just uh, you sh should be able to look back at those uh, items on, uh, you know, if you need to, you have the, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you should have access to that stuff. That's what I was trying to say. Sorry, I was struggling. Uh, all right, the 24th Amendment. This is the one that uh, said there cannot be a poll tax. So it got rid of the poll taxes uh, and it is to expand the, the base uh, or let me, it's not the base, um, the electorate. Okay. So it's going to make more people able to vote. So now that that's just basically that, that removes a barrier for people that couldn't afford to, to pay a tax. Uh, and there's really no reason there should have been a tax. I think, yeah, that's from the Y'all know where that's from. But uh, anyways, the 24th Amendment outlawed those, and so it's going to make it easier uh, to vote. Or, yeah, I guess easier to vote, that's the way to say it. Uh, 26, why is there more turnout in presidential elections than in midterms? So this is pretty, I don't say pretty easy, but uh, just people associate the presidential election with the most important election. Okay, hey, we got to go vote for the president. And so people go out, turn out, and vote versus the midterm elections, which I would argue is actually more important because our Congress people do more in the fact that they make the laws, but whatever. Uh, but more people show up because of that. Now, on the test, there's a chart that you got to read. So there's a, a line graph of some sort comparing the two. So be sure you can read 
uh, a chart. I know you don't have one to read on here as an example, but just uh, I think y'all will be able to handle that. Uh, let's see, 27 Democratic ideologies, Republican ideologies. So you know, we can spend a whole podcast talking about these things. I'm going to try and keep it as short as possible. Uh, remember, Democrats are going to be more about government involvement in like business, so regulating business and and protecting individual liberties and things like that. Uh, Republicans are going to be more about pro-business, okay, uh, and less about the individual liberties. Um, so that is kind of the very broad topics. Now on the test, there is a it's a scenario, so you got to figure out well who would this person support or Here's a situation. Who's going to support them? Democrat, Republican, so on and so forth. Okay. Uh, the balance of public safety and civil liberties. So civil liberties are the first ten amendments. There are our freedoms or protections from the government. Those are things the government cannot take away from you. And there is a problem, an issue, a conundrum whatever you want to say about trying to keep everybody safe and protecting everybody's civil liberties. All right. So the question might come down to maybe let's use school as an example. Let's say that Collinsville decided to implement a metal detector to come in to school. In theory, that violates to an extent your freedom from search. However, it is keeping the school safer by making sure there's no weapons coming into the school. So, is you giving up your right to, you know, to maybe an invasive search to an extent, uh, okay, in this situation because it's going to keep the public safe. So that's what we're getting at there. You can think about any any situation, um, you know, or anything where we apply the, the first 10 amendments versus keeping people safe. Eighth amendment, no cruel and unusual punishment. Okay. Someone, should someone get the life, uh, a life sentence, the death penalty, you know, uh, do they deserve that? So are their civil liberties being violating, violated, but we're keeping the rest of society safe. So the, the balance of public safety, just keep that idea in your, your mind. Uh, for this for this test uh, libertarians remember libertarians are going to uh, believe really in um, the government really should just exist for basic basic stuff so uh, here are some public safety issues so on and so forth but at the end of the day the government should stay out of our lives and our decisions and because there are decisions to make. Uh, conservatives versus liberals, so similar to the Republican versus Democratic ideologies, conservatives are going to be you know, the Republican side. Liberals are going to be the Democrat side. On the test, it's one of the table questions where you have to compare the two. Uh, so I think yeah, most people were okay with that uh, when we did the, the political socialization stuff and we did that in the unit. So I feel pretty good uh, about y'all being okay. I just, you know, once again, Conservatives are going to be more, they're going to say limited government, less taxes, less government involvement, less government regulations and things like that. Liberals are going to be more, you know, they're going to, they, the liberals aren't going to come out and say, hey, we want to tax more. But a lot of their programs, 
uh, to try and ensure uh, uh, equality and things like that, uh, equity, are going to, to require more government spending. So therefore, there's going to have to be an increase in taxes a lot of time. So it's kind of a cause and effect there. Uh, for sometimes the liberal policies do cause a uh, rise in, 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 in taxes. Uh, 31, Wisconsin versus Yoder, Ingo versus Vital. So I think I took this question off the test, to be honest with you. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and talk about them just in case it does show up somewhere and I just misplaced it on the test. Uh, Wisconsin versus Yoder, that is a free exercise thing. Uh, this was uh, the case where the Amish wanted to pull their kids out of school after the eighth grade. And Wisconsin law said they had to wait till 16 or the 10th grade, I think it was. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, that, that state law violates the Amish free exercise. Ingo versus Vital, that is the prayer school case. That's where... Uh, prayers were said before the class. Supreme Court said, yeah, you can't do that. That violates the First Amendment and the Establishment Clause and the separation of, church, of, of state and church, church and state. Political socialization, uh, most everybody did pretty good on this project or the assignment where you had to create the poster. Hopefully you have an idea and understanding of it. Uh, political socialization is just where uh, you got your political beliefs from. And typically the number one answer will be the family. Okay, you, whether you want to or not, you probably think like your parents to an extent, okay? Uh, now, does that mean you can't change? Sure, you can change. As you move to college, you get off and uh, by yourself and meet new people and uh, all that kind of stuff, you can always change. But for the most part, probably I would be willing to bet that at least 90% of you probably like your parents do. Uh, public opinion polls. So remember, public opinion polls, uh, we want to have uh, a random sample, you know, uh, like we said, we can get the poll to say what we want. So if I want it to be right-leaning, I go talk to, to right-leaning people. If I want it to be left-leaning, I go talk to left-leaning people. Uh, so we want that random poll, that random, excuse me, the random uh, sample of people uh, in order to, to make sure we have a pretty good poll. Uh, the sample error, remember, that is that plus or minus, so that is our mistakes. Uh, Articles of Confederation versus the Constitution. So basically on the test, it's one of those table questions and you have to pick out, well, here was a problem with the articles and here is how the, the Constitution fixed it. So I'm not going to go through all of those, but you have the, the federal negative. And if you took notes on that, then you know, it. we listed, hey, here's a problem. Hey, the Articles of Confederation, there is uh, no executive branch. So in the Constitution, there's an executive branch. Hey, there's no taxing. The national government can't tax the, the states. Well, hey, now they can. they can. They control that. Commerce, interstate commerce was a problem. Well, the Commerce Clause does that. So here's the problem, and here's the fix from the Articles of Confederation. All right, guys. Uh, we'll go over this in class on Wednesday. So if you're in class, I know it's a block day. So if you're in class on Wednesday, that's one of the things we'll do. You'll also have time to finish up your project. If you're not here, then hopefully you've listened to this. And uh, you're ready to go because we're going to test regardless on Friday. Now, I won't see it all Thursday. However, uh, if you think you need to come by and ask any questions, then on Thursday, by all means, uh, come by and uh, I will try and help you out as best I can. All right, guys. I uh, hope all is going well. And uh, I think we got nine weeks left. So y'all are getting close to getting the heck out of here. All right, guys. Let me know how I can help you and take care. Bye bye.